I want to welcome everybody to the Master's class here at Life Change Church. Life Change Church. And we are in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to go all the way to chapter 13, verse 4. And we're going to be talking about how to mend a broken faith. And it's going to be part two of the lesson. Today is the rest of the story that we started talking about last week. And I know that's the only reason you're here today, is because you had to hear the rest of the story from last week. So we began a lesson last week on one of the great reoccurring lessons in the Bible. And we're going to hit this. we got four main characters, or really five, but really four main characters that we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about the faith of each one of these men that we're going to be talking. You've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, and you've got Joseph that are the main characters in the book of Genesis. And we're going to be talking about faith again and again and again because it is so important in our lives. And it's not a hope-so faith that we have, but a no-so faith based on the promises found in God's will. So this no-so faith is absolutely required for the believer to live a victorious Christian life. Would you all agree with that? Amen. Amen. Now, as I usually do in these two-part lessons, I'm going to spend a few minutes briefly summarizing what we talked about last week, because I know you can't remember what I said five minutes ago, let alone last week, right? And I can't remember what I said either, so that's okay. We're all old and senile, and, and we'll just be that way together, right? So I'm going to briefly summarize uh, what we talked about last week because it really is the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. And it's going to be a brief summary. If you want to hear the whole lesson, you got to go to the podcast, and you can listen to the full 45-minute sermon last uh, week. Now, I want you to imagine yourself being in the biblical school of faith. Now, that's just a wonderful school to be in. And if the truth were told, many of us have been in that school for a very long time. The fact is that we often have to go back for some remedial training. And there are also times when God has decided to hold us back for a grade or two while we're in this school of faith. In fact, I'm not too sure that I will ever officially graduate from the school of faith. i got to continue to learn these lessons over and over. Amen? Amen? Amen, right? Now, why is that? Why is it so hard for us to learn the lessons about faith? It is because sometimes we just don't make very good grades in this school, right? Now, and I want to talk to you today about how to mend a broken faith. Because there are just some times that we don't do all that good in God's school of faith. Yet this faith is so important for us to have in order to be successful in living the victorious Christian life. And let me repeat for you the six reasons why this faith is so important. And they're right there in your handout as well. But the first reason is that faith is the distinguishing mark of the Christian. Now to be a believer, to have faith and apply that faith in our lives is really the distinguishing mark of a Christian. It is what makes us stand out as something different from everyone else. It is something that we have that others 
want to have when we display it correctly in our life. Faith is something that we have that others don't have, and it is something they want. When they face tragedy, they want to be able to have the kind of faith that we have in handling the things that go wrong in this life. Now, next, faith is also the Christian's chief duty. Exercise faith is our chief duty. And Jesus tells us plainly in John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe. Faith is the chief duty of a Christian. And then faith is the Christian shield from unbelief. Now, if faith is our chief duty, then unbelief is a supreme evil. There is no greater evil than unbelief. There is no greater sin than to aim the gun of unbelief at Almighty God and then pull that trigger. Now, men don't go to hell today because they murder someone or they steal something or because they lie or because they commit adultery. For those sins have all been paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. To the contrary, the Bible says that the reason that men and women go to hell today is that they have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the third reason that our faith is so important is that our faith is the shield against unbelief. And the fourth reason is the Christian life is lived by faith. See, once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, how are you going to live the Christian life? It's a tough life to live. Let me tell you. Now, once you believe, are you going to do it by trying? No, you're going to do it by trusting. The Christian life is lived by faith. And four times, the Bible says the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith, right? God says it once. He says it twice. He says it thrice. And he says it Cotorse or Porse or whatever, whatever that is, the fourth, uh, fourth, uh, the fourth version, right? Now you see, I actually took Spanish one day in my uh, one day in my youth, and you know, cuatro. I I remember how to count up to four in, in Spanish, right? Uh, yeah. See, I haven't forgotten everything I ever learned. Yeah. Actually, my long-term memory is not too bad. It's the short-term memory that I did five minutes ago that I had the hardest time with because I don't focus anymore. But anyway, now we don't live the Christian life by trying to live the Christian life. We do it by trusting. And, and the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Now, you think if he would say it four times, he's trying to do something uh, really important. He's trying to say, hey, listen, Keith, this is important for you. I'm saying it four times. You better pay attention to me, right? And, and I'm hard-headed sometimes. It takes four times uh, to, to make me do it. So I'm telling you, the way to live the Christian life is by faith. Now, the next reason is that success in a Christian life is measured by faith. Ooh, my, 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 did I just say that? Did you know that God is going to judge your success by your faith? By your faith. Now, as a believer, doing the work that God has for you to do, God will judge that work by your faith. Now, He absolutely will do this. Now, to be successful in your work for God, you must please Him, right? If you want to get a good grade from your teacher, you've got to please the teacher, right? That, that's what you've got to do. So you've got to please God if you want to get a good grade in the school of faith. And faith, above all things, pleases God. And if you please God, it really doesn't matter who you displease. 
And if you displease God, it really doesn't matter who you please. Amen. Now, you guys try to say that five times in a hurry, right? And how are you going to please God? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six that it is impossible. It is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. And so the last reason that our faith is so important is that faith is the only way to overcome the world. You cannot be a Christian without the no-so faith that God has provided us with, and you cannot live a victorious Christian life without this same no-so faith. And so there are six reasons that faith is so important to the A-believer. Now, next, we said that faith is not rooted in human will. And so you got the six reasons why it's important. And then the next topic we covered was that faith is not rooted in human will. And we go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So what does it mean when, it, when I say that faith is not rooted in human will? It means that faith is not rooted in what you desire and want. It is rooted in what God desires and wants. It, is what, it was God that spoke to Abram, and he said, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. It wasn't Abram that said all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to wake up this morning, and boy, I want to leave this land that, that I am comfortable in, that has been so good to me, I'm just going to leave it. It wasn't Abram's idea at all. It wasn't Abram's desire to leave, it was God's desire for him to leave. It was God's wants and desires for Abram to leave the land of idol worship and to come to a land that God wanted to give him. And then next, I want us to see that faith is not rooted in human work. It's not rooted in human will, and it's not rooted in human work. Not about how much you're worth. The Bible is clear that Abram did absolutely nothing to warrant the gift of grace that God was going to bestow on him. He came out of the land of Ur, which was the center of idolatry, and on top of all of that, he was 75 years old. Now, you, can you imagine somebody being 75 years old? None of you guys are that old, are you? I, no, you can't be 75 years old. No. <laughs> some, some of us are, right? But man, that is old, isn't it? Now, now what does that tell you? Yeah, are you 75? Yeah, there you go. I, you just had a birthday not too long ago, didn't you? That's coming up. Okay, all right. In January, all right. So on top of all that, not only was he an idolater, but he came out of uh, the land of Ur, but uh, he was 75 years old. What does that tell us? Well, it means that nobody is too bad for God and nobody is too old for God. And, it, and it's not too old or too bad to be called by God to go do some work for God. There's no retirement in the work of God in your life now. Now, God chooses a man named Abram 
who is a raw pagan, and he became a believer. Now listen to me. Faith is not rooted in human will and is not rooted in human work. It is not rooted in your work. Now next I want you to see that faith is not rooted in human wisdom. Now notice, this was not something that Abram figured out. He, he went under sealed orders. He left under sealed orders. He, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you what faith is not. Faith is not positive thinking. It is not following a hunch. It is not hoping for the best. It's not figuring something out and then trying to make it work. It's a, and it's not a feeling of optimism. And it's not believing what you know isn't so. Abraham, when he went out, did not know why, and he did not know where. He only knew whom. So what is faith? If that's not faith, then what is faith? Faith is believing the Word of God and acting on it. That's faith. That's it. Faith is believing the Word of God and acting on it. Now, if you simply believe the Word of God, that's not faith yet. That's the preamble to faith. That's what leads to it. That is the root of faith. But acting on it is what makes it faith. Now, believing the Word of God is mental. Faith is actual. Do you know the difference between belief and faith? Faith is belief with legs on it. The difference between belief and faith is the difference between knowing the Word of God and knowing the God of the Word. And then next we have the requirement of faith. What God said to Abraham is essentially this. Get thee out unto, which really means come out of where you are and go to where you need to be. That's what he's really trying to tell us. This tells us that real faith not only brings us out, real faith brings us in. Now you cannot really have faith as uh, you continue to live in the land of idolatry. You have to forsake it. You have to leave it behind. Now, I'm not talking about moving out of your neighborhood to a monastery someplace. That's not what we're talking about here at all. No, I'm talking about spiritually. You have to spiritually forsake the land of idolatry. And how do you do that? You forsake, you leave your old lifestyle behind. You cannot live in your old way of life and think that at the same time, doing all the same things that you were doing that got you into trouble to start with, that you can still live a life of faith. It cannot be done. You have to leave that old lifestyle behind. Now, the root of faith is based in the Word of God. But the requirement of faith is that you come out of that land of idolatry. You leave it. You leave your old lifestyle behind. God brought us out that he might bring us into a new life of faith. And then next there is the reward of faith. You see, by faith man gives God pleasure, and by faith God gives man treasure. We please God when we believe God. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. And God gave him the land, and God said, I'm going to make your name great. Now, this is important for you to understand. Every blessing of God, every blessing, not some, but every blessing of God is appropriated by faith. We are blessed by faith. But now notice Abraham was blessed that he might be a blessing. Look again in verse 2. 
And it says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name, name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now here's the important part. Faith gives us the power not only to be blessed, but to be a blessing. Now do you want to be blessed? Did you know that it is amazing how much God will let pass through your hands if you will just receive and give? It's absolutely amazing. And a lot of it will stick to you if you will just let it come through your hands. Now, do you want to be a blessing? There is no greater blessing than to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing. I'm blessed when I am blessing others, when I am blessing other people. Now, there's no greater greatness than to make somebody else great, to bless somebody else. That's the reward of faith. Now, next I want to talk to you about the relapse of faith. So here we start up uh, with the actual lesson for today. It's only been 25 minutes so uh, as an introduction. So anyhow, we're going to talk about the relapse of faith. Now, I wish that I could tell you that Abraham never had a relapse of faith. But he did. In fact, it happened several times. And his faith failed and his faith faltered. Verse 10 of chapter 12 says, And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt, sojourned there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now this is telling us that in the land of plenty, in the land of Canaan, in the land that represents the fullness of the Spirit, corn and oil, wine, figs, grapes, pomegranates, there was famine there in Canaan. Now why was that? Well, Abram's faith was being tested. And God tested Abram's faith several times. Now notice that God does not test him in order to make him fall. But God tested him to reveal to him some weaknesses and some, flaw, and some flaws. And so in God's school of faith, Abram was given a test. Now that test was a famine. And he failed that test. Have any of you ever failed a test in school? Oh my goodness, I have. Well, Abram failed this test. He got a big fat F on it. All right. Now, why did God test him? Well, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. So 1 Peter 1, 7, it speaks of the trial or the testing of our faith. And it says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, that word trial is translated from a Greek word that is used as an assayer, a metalsmith would use to test metal and gold to see how pure it is. And the miner, he brings his gold to be tested. And in the same way, God brings our faith to be tested as well. Now, there was a famine in the land. And there was a famine on the man of God, and yet remember that Abram was exactly where God had sent him and exactly where God had told him to go. So it wasn't that Abram was being bad that this came upon him. He was exactly where he ought to be. Now, so what is the lesson for us? Well, sometimes we have this idea that when we serve God and we obey God, when we live by God, then we're going to be free from all the testings and all the trials. That it's going to be all honey and no bees, but that's just not true. There can be trials and heartaches in the land of milk and honey. Now, you know that to be true, don't you? In your own life, you know that to be true. There are trials and heartaches right here in the land of milk and honey. 
And you know, sometimes in our prayer life, we like for God to say yes, or for God to say no. We just, we just want to get it settled. Did God tell me uh, yes or no, right? And we say, God, just give me the answer right now. However, sometimes God doesn't say anything. Sometimes God says, wait, as a test of your faith. Now, sometimes people get married and they, and they just think that they are on the love boat and it's all going to be sweet and wonderful and, and, and all romance. That's the way your marriage was, right? Yeah, it's all, all, it's all just sweet and stuff, right? And then in their marriage, they have testings and trials and they wonder, what has gone wrong? Well, maybe nothing has gone wrong. Maybe God is just testing your faith. Sometimes you join a church like Life Change Church and you say, oh, Brother Keith, Life Change Church is such a wonderful church. I, I'm going to be a member of Life Change Church. Life Change Church, right? Now, and then you find out that all of the sinners are not on the outside. Oh, you find out that some are right here in our own church. And I, amen? Amen? Yeah, maybe, just maybe, there's one sitting right next to you right now. Yeah, over there? Yeah, over, yeah, okay. All right. Now, I want you to look at that person next to you and, and ask yourself, are they a sinner? Yeah? Yeah. Now, look at that person, and I tell you what, if you want to know the truth, if, if, now pay attention because I'm getting ready to say something. If you want to know the truth, the biggest sinner is probably sitting in your own seat. All right? Now, I say this all to make it clear that sometimes we get these romanticized ideas about what it's going to be like living a life of faith. And a wise man once said this about Noah's Ark. Have you ever thought about what Noah's Ark must have smelled like on the inside? Oh, my, 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 my. You couldn't stand the stench on the inside if it weren't for the storm on the outside. Think about that now. I don't know about you, but I would rather be in this church, even with all the problems that we have, because it is better than the storm that is on the outside. Amen. I would still rather know the Lord Jesus Christ than not. Amen? So here is a relapse of Abram's faith. There's a famine, and Abram does something that he's not supposed to do. He goes down to Egypt. And how did his faith falter? I want to give you some steps because they're the same things that lead us into our own failings of faith. Now, first of all, there was a sinful compromise. And it occurred when God first called Abraham. And, and I look again at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And then go on down to verses 4 and 5. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now notice what it says here. It says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Now wait a minute. God said to Abram, Get out of there, get away from your kinfolk, but his nephew Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran, and Abram took Sarah his wife, 
and Lot, his brother's son, and all the substance they had. So Abram is doing what? He's compromising. He doesn't go all the way to Canaan on the, on the first section of the trip, right? He makes a short stop there at Haran, and he's like some of us. He's like some of you and me. You're going to give your heart to Jesus, but you kind of have some hangover sins that you want to hang on to, right? You have some unclaimed promises, and you compromise a little bit. And you say, well, I'm just going to keep this thing in my life, or that thing in my life. Now, Abram made a sinful compromise, and what did it do? It led to a misplaced confidence. Now, once Abram got to Canaan, he found two problems he had to deal with. He had to deal with the Canaanites and the famine. Now, in order to deal with the famine, Abram got the idea that perhaps in Egypt there would be plenty. So he went on down to Egypt. He said, you know, there's food in Egypt, and God gave me a brain. God gave me a mind, and God doesn't expect me to start. And so he went down to Egypt. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, God gave me a mind. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to work, and I'm supposed to make, uh, make it all for myself, right? I'll pray to God when I really need him. I don't really need him when things are going good, right? So, and so he went on down to Egypt. Now, here's a good verse for you whenever you think about turning to the world for help. Isaiah 31.1 says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. What does it say about going down into the world? Woe unto them that go down into the world. Now, sometimes you'll get to figuring, and sometimes you'll get to conniving. You'll begin by compromising, and then you have this compromise, and then you begin to put your confidence in places where you ought not to put your confidence in. Things get bad, and you begin to scheme. And a wise person said, never doubt in the dark what God has showed you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. And you say, well, God expects me to use my head. And that's true. But God wants you to use your head to trust the God that is in your heart. It is an absolutely amazing thing. Abraham trusted God to take him all the way from the earth of the Chaldees, yet he could not trust in God after he got there. Now you say, now that's just awful of Abram to have done that. How could Abram have done something like that? After all that God did for him to get him there, after all the times that God spoke to him, how could Abram be so foolish and do something so awful? Well, have you ever trusted God to save you and then you couldn't trust God to keep you? Ooh. Have you ever trusted God for spiritual things but you can't trust Him for material things? Oh, now the shoe's getting tight. Yeah. Have you ever trusted God for all eternity but you can't trust Him for next week? How awful it is that you might do something like that. Amen. That was a pretty weak amen. Say amen to that. Yeah. And, and notice now how his sinful compromise and his misplaced confidence leads Abram to a shameful conduct. Notice that his conduct begins to change. Verses 11 and 13 in chapter 12. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. And therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee 
that they shall say, This is thy wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, and it may be well with me for my sake. And, I'm, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, can you believe that Abram was asking his wife to tell a lie? And she said, well, maybe it wasn't so bad because there was a technical sense in which he could say that this was true. You know, you are my, uh, where he could say you are my sister. Because he was, it was his half-sister. had a different uh, mother, I think, is, is uh, the, the difference. But it was a half-truth, and it was a whole lie. And as a result, you can see his life now beginning to un- unravel. Abram's conduct changes so much that he is willing to let his wife, Sarah, become part of Pharaoh's harem in order to save his own hide. Now, when he left the land of Ur, Abram takes his father with him. He takes Lot with him, and he doesn't go all the way. He stops in Haran, and then when he finally gets to the land of Canaan that God wanted him to go to, he finds out that everything is not like it ought to be, and at least what he thinks it ought to be like. And so he goes down to Egypt for help, and now he begins to do some terrible, terrible things. Now, did you know that as a Christian, a true Christian, you can do some really terrible, horrible things? That's true. And why is that? Because that which is flesh is flesh. John 3, 6. Now, listen carefully to me because I'm going to tell you something. I don't care how long you've been saved. Your flesh has not improved one scintilla of an iota. That which is flesh is flesh. And don't you ever think that flesh can be cultured? and that flesh can be changed. When you take your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ, when you stop living by faith, you're going to find out that that old flesh nature is still right there. And many Christians who start out on a life of faith then begin to compromise. Then they begin to scheme. And then they begin to do things that they would never have dreamed that they might have done. They begin to have shameful conduct, just like Abram. Now next I want you to see the cost of a lapse in faith. It's a costly thing. Unbelief is a thief. For there were blessings that were stolen from Abram. First of all, there was wasted time. Now all that time he spent in Egypt was wasted time. Now when we think of uh, the wasted time that we have as a believer, just think of what that time has cost us at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to see just how much that wasted time has cost us. You know, when a college student goes off to college, they'll often get away from God. And how sad it is that you go down to Egypt and you say, well, everybody's got to do this. You know, college is supposed to be a place where you live it up. You're you're supposed to do this or you're supposed to do that. No, you're supposed to serve Jesus Christ. You don't compromise. That's just all simply wasted time. And not only is it wasted time, but it is a weakened testimony. And here was a man of God. Now, what kind of testimony did Abram have towards Pharaoh? When Pharaoh found out uh, that Sarah was married, he was scared to death. He said, Abram, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Did you want to get me killed? You want to get me in trouble with God? You see, when Abram stopped living a life of faith, not only was there a waste of time, but there was a weakened testimony. Not only was he a terrible witness to Pharaoh, but think about the kind of testimony that he was to Lot. 
Did you know where Lot got his love for sin and the things of this world? Right there down in Egypt. That's the reason why he chose to go to Sodom. The Bible tells us that. And he had seen and that he had tasted the life of Egypt. Now, some of you parents have compromised your faith. You've gone down to Egypt and you've not come all the way out. You've not let go of all those idols. Now, you may come out and you may do all right, but what about your children? Who saw your witness right up close. Your children see all the good and the bad of you. And they saw it right up close. Now, may they may not do all right because they witnessed you. There may be things and tastes and desires in their lives because you've been camping out in Egypt. Now listen to Lot as he chooses that Abram has offered unto him. Verse 10 of chapter 13 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Lot said, look, this plain, that's just like Egypt. That's the way I want to go. Because Lot had liked what happened to his wealth when he was down in Egypt. He got to be a rich man. And so he wanted more of the same. And next, we see that not only was Abram wasting his time and wrecking his testimony, but he also inherited all kinds of trouble. You know what Abram got when he went down to Egypt and took this side trip? I'll tell you one, one thing he got. He gained wealth. Verses 15 and 16 says, The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And a woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and asses and men servants and maidservants and she asses and camels. Now, Abram's getting wealthy down in the land of Egypt. Now you ask, but Keith, it, that's good, right? It's good to get uh, wealthy. Isn't that good? No, it wasn't good. One of the things that he got down in Egypt was cattle and sheep and donkeys and servants. Okay, so what's wrong with that, Keith? Well, when they got back to Canaan, a range war between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen started because Abram was down there in Egypt. And a symbol of the world, and he got some things from Pharaoh that were supposed to bring him a blessing but they really only brought him trouble and grief. Anything you get out of Egypt is going to cause you trouble and grief. Anything you get out of the world because of the world is going to cause you grief. i tell you something else he got. Not only did he get wealth, he got a woman down there. He was down there and he got an Egyptian maid, and what was her name? Hagar. Now where did he get her? He got her down there in Egypt, and she became Sarah's maid. And later on, Abram, the father of the faithful, went into Hagar, his wife's maid, had a son, Ishmael, who was a progenitor of the Arab race, and right now the world is a tinderbox because of Abram, the man of faith who could not trust God, and went down into Egypt and got himself into all kinds of trouble. That was a relapse of faith. Okay, so now we've said all this, and I'm down about five minutes here. <laughs> uh, we'll see what I get done, but that's all right. I, I might have to have part three here, and then have to review all that I just did for the last two weeks, right? We, we've said all this so that we can learn the steps that led to Abram into a relapse of faith. And so we can keep from making the same mistake. And, and, and even though we know these things, we still fail. 
And so we need to understand what it takes for the restoration of our faith. Well, let's see what Abram did to mend his broken faith and how we can do the same thing. Now, first, I want you to notice that, thank God, Abram didn't stay down there in Egypt. Verses 1 through 4 says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, and his, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold, and he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar where he had made there at the first. And Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, I'm so grateful that God was patient with Abram. Aren't you glad when God is patient with you? Abram was an old man at this time, but he was young in the faith. And God was tender with him, and God was patient with him. God remembered his frailty. God knows our frame. He knows that we are just dust. And Abram failed in the school of faith. But God just re-enrolled him and put him through that school again. You know, God doesn't grade on a curve, but he keeps on re-enrolling us, doesn't he? Isn't that what he does? He just keeps on re-enrolling us. He just keeps on giving us the lessons so we can eventually pass. How did Abram repair his broken faith? There were three things. First, there was repentance. Look in verse 1 of chapter 13, and Abram went up out of Egypt. So he forsook Egypt. So are you willing to forsake Egypt? Are you willing to forsake your old lifestyle in order to live the life of faith. Listen, Abram had already forsaken the area of the Chaldees, and now he forsakes Egypt. You cannot get right with God and remain in Egypt. You cannot remain in your old lifestyle. Is there some sin in your life that's blunting your faith? Are you willing to repent of it? Then you better repent of it. But you don't, do you? You don't. You, you want to have faith, but you still choose not to repent of the very sin that has caused your faith to fail. So why don't you repent? You say, well, I love my sin. I mean, that's who I am. I, I love doing this. Listen, the most miserable man on earth is not an unsaved man. The most miserable man on earth is a saved man out of fellowship with God. What a terrible cost to remain in Egypt. Oh, the misery of believing in God and living in the world, living in Egypt. So now in order to mend that broken faith, there must be repentance. And then number two, there must be remembrance. Notice verse three, and he went out on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Now let me ask you, did you once walk with God, but now you wonder why you're even in church on Sunday morning? Because you're so far away from God? You remember how it was when God was really real to you? When you had your Bethel? Well, that's where Abram had met God at the first place. So let me ask you another question. Was there ever a time where God was nearer, dearer, and sweeter to you than He is right now? If so, you're backslidden. Just remember... Remember what it was like and how sweet it was when you walked with the Lord. Let God bring you back to His house. And you say, Brother Keith, how can I get right with God? How can I find God? And where can I find God? Well, you'll find Him right where you left Him. Right where you left Him. Listen, God is right there. You don't have to guess at it at all. You get on your knees, you get on your face, 
God will show you, God will show you if you'll just go back to your first love. So first there must be repentance and then remembrance and then restoration. God says, or the Bible says, which is God says as well, in verse 4, he went to the place of the altar where he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram went back to the altar, and what did he do there? He gave it all back to Jesus. And, and you know what the Lord did? The Lord cleansed him. I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be a blessing to you, and I don't want you to miss it. Here's the sweet thing. When you read the New Testament, you don't read anything about Abram's failure. Not a word in the New Testament. The only way you can find out that, uh, about his failure is to read the Old Testament. Now, isn't that good of God? God did not remember his sin. God remembered his faith. Our iniquities he remembers against us no more. That's sweet. So if you've gotten away from God and your faith needs a little first aid, do what old Abram did. Come out of Egypt. It's not worth it to stay there. Remember how God used to be so real and so fresh to you, those sweet times, those wonderful times? Those are the best times. Go back to the altar, give it all back to the Lord, and walk by faith. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus, right? Now let me close by saying that when we pray, we ought to say, Father God, I thank you for the life of faith. And Lord, I pray in my own heart and in my own life, Lord, you'll help me not to compromise, but to come all the way out of the land of idolatry. And Lord, you will help me not to compromise by taking a sojourn down into Egypt, but to live day after day just trusting you, relying on your word. Amen? Amen. Amen.